So we're in the book of Daniel, as you know. Uh, before we took a break for our series of Christmas messages, we um, had looked at Daniel's prayer over a couple of weeks, the first half of Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel realizes, recognizes, according to the timetable that God had laid out, that their years in captivity in Babylon were about to come to an end. God had told them they would be in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel had been there that whole time since he was a young man. He sees that the time is coming to an end. And what does he do? He goes to God in prayer and repents for his sins and the sins of his people as he's anticipating uh, the captivity coming to an end very soon. And so we pick it up. We're going to pick it up in verse 20 of Daniel 9. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for your word, which gives us everything we need to know for salvation, for living a godly life in Christ Jesus, and for being prepared for what you have prophesied in your word would come to pass. And Lord, we're thankful to be living in those days where those prophecies are being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Thank you, God. And we ask your blessing upon this time of Bible study now in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 20, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And so... Daniel says, in the midst of his speaking, praying, and confessing his sin. And I think here Daniel's giving us a tremendous example of how we might interact with God. Speaking, conversing. One of the aspects of prayer that we need to understand is that it's basically having a conversation with God. And by the way, conversations should be two-way, right? Have you ever engaged in a conversation with someone who won't let you get a word in edgewise? I'm not going to ask who it is, when it was. Could be your spouse. <laughs> Could be your best friend. But, and sadly, sometimes our conversations with God are like that, aren't they? We don't let him get a word in edgewise. But... It should be like a conversation where we're talking to God. We're also pausing, taking time to listen to what he has to say. One of the ways we can do that effectively is to pray with our Bibles open because the most reliable way for us to hear the voice of God is through his word. Feelings, emotions, other things can get in the way. Sometimes we think we're hearing from God. But it's really not. It's the world, the flesh, or the devil. But when we have the word there with us to verify and confirm, it's very helpful. Anyway, he's speaking to God, he's praying, and he's confessing. We talk often around here about the gift of faith that God gives to us, and then about the need for confession and repentance of our sins. 
Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so we see Daniel following a very similar pattern here. And he says he's confessing his sin, but notice also the sin of my people Israel. In the scriptures, this idea of corporate responsibility is promoted throughout the scriptures, acknowledging not only personal sin, but the sins of the people that we are connected with. Our family, our friends, our community, our nation. And so Daniel, although not obviously not responsible for every sin of every Israelite, he takes it upon himself to confess not only his sins, but the sins of his people, Israel. That does not alleviate their individual responsibility to, to confess, but it seems to be something that God encourages in his word that we should look beyond ourselves and recognize the impact. In this case, our nation, America, we talk about all the time how our nation seems to be drifting away from God, and every day there are more uh, articles and reports and surveys indicating fewer and fewer people are identifying as believers in God, Christians, and so forth. And we see the corruption and degradation all around us, and therefore there's ample opportunity and ample need for a, a corporate repentance. At the end of the day, what God does with that is up to Him. We do our part, He does His part. But it's important that we identify not only with our own sinfulness, but the sinfulness of those around us. And so He says, For the holy mountain of my God. He's speaking here, of course, of Mount Zion, the Temple Mount, the focal point of the Jewish nation, which had been devastated by the Babylonian invasion 70 years earlier. And so he has in mind here the restoration of Jerusalem, of the temple. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, and so, th again, throughout the scriptures, we see the angels are depicted as having the appearance of or the likeness of a man. At the same time, it's often frightening, we see in the scriptures, when a, an average everyday human being encounters an angelic being, but they do have that man-like appearance. And so Daniel actually refers to him as the man Gabriel. We're reminded of Hebrews 13, 2, where it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels, or entertained angels unaware. And I've talked to many people throughout my life, and you probably have too, who have had those kind of encounters where someone just comes on the scene and does something helpful or gives an, a, an important piece of information or what have you, many different types of manifestations, and then there's this looking back, thinking, gee, I wonder if that was an angel, right? I mean, how many of you have had that kind of an experience? Quite a few. And that's what the scriptures say, that because, yeah, they do appear like men. We may have entertained them 
without even knowing it. The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly. So in response to Daniel's prayer, God dispatched the angel Gabriel to quickly bring Daniel the answer to his prayers. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Proverbs 2, 3 through 6. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, boy, we all desperately need that. Do you know that? Especially in these times we're living in. Chuck Mistler labeled this time that we're living in at least 20 years ago, maybe longer, the age of deception. And that's how Jesus characterized the last days. A time of great deception. He emphasizes at Matthew 24 several times, do not be deceived, let no man deceive you. The last days will be characterized with tremendous, overwhelming deception. And I think we probably find ourselves every day asking questions about how people can do some of the things they're doing today, right? All the perversion that's going on. The destruction and dismantling of the young people of our world, of our nation, with the transgenderism, the surgeries, the mutilation of young people's bodies, the drugs that are being used, the hormones, just ins insanity, folks. Insanity. And so I, I took it one step further from Chuck Missler, and I said, this is the age of insanity. So you ask yourself, how, do these, how are people doing the things they're doing? Those who seem to not only support abortion, but it's like they have a blood lust for it. Have you seen that? They not only support it, oh, women's rights, women's health. It's like they crave it. There's like a bloodlust. And the Satanists openly admit that they view every abortion as a blood sacrifice to Satan. It's a fact. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. Research it. They claim these abortions as sacrifices to Satan. Okay? And you ask yourself, how is this possible? Without discernment, people are deceived. And even Daniel needed discernment. Gabriel brought him that Gabriel says, I've now come forth to give you skill to understand. Proverbs 2, 3 through 6. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, people are seeking after silver and gold today, aren't they? Material things, the things of this world. Well, the writer of Proverbs says you need to seek out discernment and understanding as others are seeking out silver and gold. Search for her as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so God promises if we will seek it, if we will cry out for it, if we ask him for it, 
He will give us discernment. He will give us understanding. He will give us wisdom, but we must seek it from Him and not from the people and the things of this world. Verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to you to tell you, says Gabriel, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And although we may not always seem to get an immediate response to our prayers, we can be sure that God has heard us and is in the process of responding. A lot of times at men's prayer, I will close out the evening by thanking God in advance for the answers that are on the way. That's part of walking in faith. Believing that God has heard your prayer and that the answer is on the way. In James it says you can't be double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You have to pray in faith, believing, trusting that God hears you and that he's going to answer. It may not be in the time frame that you'd like it to be. It may not be in the way that you'd like it to be. But he will answer. And so at the beginning of Daniel's prayer, Gabriel says, the command went out from God to Gabriel. Bring him the answer. Bring him the wisdom. Bring him the understanding. Why? Because you are greatly beloved. And by the way, not only was Daniel greatly beloved, but all of God's people are. All of God's forever family, which if you're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a part of God's forever family, and you are greatly beloved too. John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Stay there. Live there. God's not going anywhere. There's an old expression. If God seems far away, guess who moved? God's not going anywhere, folks. He is faithful. As the Father loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. Stay. Live with me. Stay with me. Don't depart. I happen to think and believe and pretty much know that some of the saddest people on planet Earth are the ones who have known the love of God but have walked away, drifted away, turned away. The non-believer, there's a certain period of time, eventually you reap what you sow, right? But there's a time frame in which ignorance is bliss. You ever heard that one? You just go blindly through life, and you know, there's, the Bible says sin is profitable or enjoyable for a season. But when that season's over, you reap what you sow. But for the person who's known God, walked with God, abided in his love, and then drifted away, turned away, fallen away. I think they tend to be the most miserable people of all. Because they know the truth, they know the right way, they know the joy that's available in Christ, but they're not living it, they're not experiencing it. And so the enemy will use that to keep that person in bondage. You're caught between two worlds. You cannot enjoy the world because you now know the truth. But you can't enjoy the love of God because you're not where you should be with Him either. Maybe this is for somebody here today. That you need to come back. God is calling you back into right relationship with Him. Or you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life.
Jesus warns us, having set our hand to the plow, don't look back. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? Maybe that was for somebody here today or somebody watching online. God is ready, willing, and able to receive you back. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The big brother thought that guy was a loser, a washout. But the father didn't. Even though the prodigal son went out and lived a horrible life, a life of sin and destruction, squandered his inheritance, the minute he came home, the Bible says, I love this. And one of my family members that needs to come back, I pray that they, like the prodigal son, will come to their senses. That's what the Bible says happened to the prodigal son. He finally came to his senses. And he went back to the father, broken, humbled. What did the father do? Put a ring on his finger, wrapped a robe around him, and killed the fatted calf. See, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the devil that God doesn't want you back, that God won't take you back, that you've blown it, you're no longer qualified. You were never qualified anyway. You're no longer good enough. You were never good enough. It's all about his love. So if this is speaking to your heart today, I encourage you before you leave this place today to return to the Father. Come back as the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter. Recommit your life to Christ. Give Him His way with you once again so that you might abide in His love. 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Jesus called the Pharisees sons of the devil. But we, because of the great love God has bestowed upon us, we are now called the children of God. So Gabriel says, as soon as you sent up that prayer, God gave out the command to bring you the answer, for you are greatly beloved. And that's a word for every one of us here today. In the Father, you are greatly beloved. So here we go, verse 24. Seventy weeks, or literally sevens, the Hebrew word is shabua. The word weeks is added for understanding, but literally it says seventy sevens are determined for your people and for your holy city. The word weeks can actually cause some confusion, but we'll clarify it. Seventy sevens are determined for your people and for your holy city. To finish the transgression, one. To make an end of sins, two. To make reconciliation for iniquity, three, to bring an everlasting righteousness, four, to seal up vision and prophecy, five, and to anoint the most holy, six. It's generally understood by a vast majority of Bible scholars, theologians, particularly the ones with whom I associate or, under, or identify with, that the 77s are 70 times seven years, not days, not weeks. Daniel had been thinking of the years of the captivity here. The 77s would be 490 years. We'll, we'll expand on that in just a moment. But in Daniel 9, 2, 
He says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of, year, of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. This speaks of the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. So the context here with the 77s, which is the actual literal interpretation, the context is years, not days, not weeks, not months. So the 70 weeks represent 70 times 7 years, 490 years. The 490 could not designate days, but that would not be enough for that wouldn't be enough time for the events prophesied in Daniel 9:24 through 27 to occur. The same is true of 490 weeks of 7 days each, which would equate to 3430 days or about 9 years. That wouldn't fit either. Also, if days were intended, you would expect that Daniel would have added of days after the 77s because in chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, he writes literally three sevens of days. Daniel 10, 2. Or in the NIV, I guess it says weeks. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And so here it's very specifically speaking of three weeks. He says, 77s are determined for your people and for your holy city. So specifically, this 490-year period concerns Daniel's people, the Jews, and their holy city, Jerusalem. So in response to Daniel's prayer about the impending conclusion of the captivity, the 70 years of captivity, God responds by sending Gabriel to tell Daniel that an additional 490 years is required for his people because they had failed to keep the sabbatical year. Every seventh year they were supposed to let the land lie rest they didn't plant and so forth whatever just kind of came up naturally they could harvest and eat but they weren't allowed to till the soil sow any seed it was a sabbath year unto the lord and they failed to keep that the entire time that they were in babylon obviously they weren't able to so every seven years they would let the land rest leviticus 25 all debts were to be canceled, indentured servants were to be set free, and they had missed 70 sabbatical years, and so they would have to repay seven times over according to Leviticus 26, 18, and 21, and that would equal 490 years, 70 times 7. Leviticus 26, 18, after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. So this prophecy is not concerned so much with world history or church history, but with the history of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. But as I've told you many times, the key to understanding Bible prophecy, the heart of it lies with Israel. If people misunderstand or misinterpret God's dealings with Israel, His intentions for Israel, then they will misunderstand all of prophecy. 
By the time the 490 years run their course, God will have completed six things for Israel, as we just saw. The first three have to do with sin, and the second three have to do with His kingdom, His eternal kingdom. The basis for the first three was provided for by the work of Christ on the cross, but all six will be realized by Israel at the second coming of Christ. So again, to recap, one, to finish the transgression, which means to end the apostasy of the Jews. This hasn't happened yet. Number two, to make an end of sins. Jesus conquered sin on the cross, but people have not yet stopped sinning. Now for the believer, sin no longer controls us, nor does it dictate our destiny. But again, remember, these things have to do with the Jewish people and the holy city of Jerusalem. In the millennial kingdom, there will be no sin, for the on only the righteous will be allowed in, and Jesus will not allow or tolerate any sin in his kingdom. Revelation 2.27, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. Zero tolerance. We've heard that term a lot over the last few years. It'll be manifest truly in the kingdom of Christ upon the earth, the millennial kingdom. Revelation 12, 5. She, Israel, bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and then her child was caught up to God and his throne. So at his first coming, crucifixion, resurrection, caught up from the Mount of Olives, seated at the right hand of the Father. But when he comes back, he's going to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And then Revelation 19.15, Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. This is the second coming, us coming with him. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity or to atone for wickedness. That refers to the death of Christ on the cross, which is the basis for Israel's future forgiveness and redemption. Zechariah 12.10 I will pour on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So speaking prophetically at that future recognition by the people of Israel that Jesus is indeed their Messiah. Romans eleven twenty six. So all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Again, we're talking specifically about Daniel's people, the Jews, the holy city, Jerusalem, what God has in store for them and what's to be accomplished by the first coming and second coming of Christ. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Again, this is speaking of that which will happen in the millennial kingdom of the Messiah. Hasn't happened yet. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called 
the Lord our righteousness. Five, to seal up vision and prophecy, to set God's seal of fulfillment on all the prophecies concerning the Jewish people and Jerusalem. When Christ returns and establishes his millennial kingdom, there'll be no more need for prophecy or vision because we will see him face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 8. Love, Jesus, never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail or cease. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect, that's Jesus, that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, says Paul. But when I became a man, I put away childish things, for now we also see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And then finally, the sixth thing, to anoint the most holy. And this refers to the anointing of the holy of holies in the millennial temple. Not the temple of the Antichrist, not the temple of the tribulation, which is already ready to be built. We all know that, right? Over in Israel, the Temple Institute, they've got everything ready. All the implements for the temple. Prefabricated walls, everything is stored in a warehouse, ready to be erected. At the beginning of the tribulation, that temple will be built. Sacrifice will be reinstituted. But as we have learned halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to march in there and declare himself to be God. The temple of the tribulation is not the temple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It will be the temple of the Antichrist. But this is referring to his temple of the millennium to anoint the most holy, the, the holy of holies. Uh, before we go to the Lord in prayer, if you have a prayer request, please raise your hand. Quite a few. Father, we thank you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the name above all names. The only name given under heaven by which man must be saved. We thank you, God. Just as we saw today with Daniel, a man who was beloved by you, as are all of your saints, all of your people. And we saw that your reaction, Father, to that great love that you had for Daniel, when he prayed, you immediately gave the command for Gabriel to bring the answer. So we thank you, Lord, that as we come before you, we can come with confidence. Again, not because we're worthy, not because we are deserving, but because through the precious blood of Christ, we have been made righteous. We have been made holy. It's not our righteousness. It's not our holiness. It's the holiness and righteousness of Christ that has been placed upon us by your grace. So, Lord, we do come now thanking you ahead of time, in advance, by faith, for the answers to the prayers we're about to pray. First of all, Lord, for those with physical issues, health problems, we lift those up to you now, God. Lord, we acknowledge these bodies we're now dwelling in were not made to last forever. 
they are going to fall apart, wear down as we get older. But Lord, we do pray for strength. We pray for healing from the various afflictions that different ones here are dealing with. Some have raised their hands today, Father, because they're having health problems. We pray for your grace and your mercy to be poured out upon them. We pray that healing might be imparted to each one. Relief from pain, from suffering, from worry, fear, anxiety. The, Lord, that ties right into our emotional state, our mental state. We need healing on all those levels. Lord, help us to abide in your love like we talked about today. And Lord, we pray for anyone here who has not been doing that and they know it and they want to get back to where they should be. Help them right now. Draw them by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help them to make a new, fresh commitment to you today. And that you would give them the strength. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Give them the strength to live for you, to live with you, to follow you, to never ever turn away again, Lord. Lord, we know your word tells us that he who endures till the end will be saved. So we pray for endurance, for strength, for discernment, Lord. We talked about that today, how desperately we need discernment and understanding in this age of deception in this age of insanity lord we desire to have the mind of christ and you told us that we would we ask you to impart to us that sound mind that is part of our inheritance and our legacy in christ lord help us not to see things as the world does to think things as the world thinks but to have that mind of Christ, Lord. So we pray for physical healing. We pray for mental and emotional healing. Not just for ourselves, but for loved ones, friends, family members, those that we are concerned about here this morning. You know who they are. We lift them up to you as well. Lord, we lift up for those uh, relationships that have been damaged or broken, that you bring healing and restoration. Give us wisdom on how we can be a part of that process either by the things that we do and say or the things we don't do and say. But we pray for restoration for marriages, uh, family relationships, and friendships, Lord, that those could be healed, restored, repaired, strengthened. Lord, your word says that two are better than one because they receive a greater return for their labor. A threefold cord is not easily broken. And so, Lord, we know relationships are important. No relationship is more important than our relationship with you, Lord. So help us not to digress into religion. Help us to remain in relationship with you. And finally, Lord, we pray for financial issues that you'd guide us and direct us, give us wisdom in these perilous times. You are our provider. We acknowledge you as our provider. You're the one who takes care of us. Help us not to lean to our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge you, because then you promised that you would direct our paths. You would make our paths straight. Lord, we trust you for provision and ask for wisdom and guidance on how we can best manage the resources you have entrusted us with. And Lord, we pray where those resources may be lacking or unavailable, that you would come in like a flood and just meet our needs according to the promises of your word. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.